Then Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, not even an extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. Wherever they do not welcome you, as you are leaving that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They departed and went through the villages, bringing the good news and curing diseases everywhere. Now Herod the ruler heard about all that had taken place, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the ancient prophets had arisen. And Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he tried to see him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, for whatever reason, I think, you know, it's August. It's supposed to be a quieter month. It's chilled. People are going to be on holiday. People are at David's tent, and then the church is still packed. So thank you for um, being a personal encouragement to me. Um, I don't know whether this resonates with the rest of you, but how many times do you kind of, uh, you walk down the road and... Someone starts waving at you, and then you start waving, and then you realize they're kind of looking through you, and you look behind you, and they're actually waving at a good friend of theirs, and it's this shameful moment. And then subsequently, then the same thing happens again, and people wave at you, and you can't quite distinguish them because you've forgotten your glasses, um, or they've changed their hair color, and you're just like, you just kind of pretend as though it's not happening, and someone's like, why did you, why did you ignore me? You walk down the road and you're just like, is it me? Is, it, is he addressing me? And I think that, that experience we have of when we think, like, are they, are they addressing me? Are they addressing me? We need to totally dismiss that as a lie, particularly in light of this reading this morning. When Jesus, when Jesus speaks to his church, there isn't a case of, like, are you talk, is it me? Is it that one? Me? It's like, no, he's talking to us. Okay. This is the kind of the, the perspective of faith we are to have um, in light of God speaking to us. Does that sound all right? I couldn't help but, um, but feel as, as uh, this morning as we were praying and then also like when Kim was sharing it, she was talking about like driving through this morning and like looking over to Whiston and seeing this hot air balloon. And I was thinking to myself, I was out walking the dog, and like one of my favorite parts of it is there's a stretch where you can look out over Whiston, and I completely missed it. <laughs> I didn't see it. And I think that is, again, like another metaphor, like a sign for many of us. Actually, there's so much going on. There's like God is at work, and, and we still just manage to miss it. Not through like intentional, uh, it's going to say like being devious or naughty, but it's like just through sheer accident. And I think for that reason, it's yet another 
reason we need to pray to have eyes of faith, to not miss what God is doing, not miss what, what God is speaking to us, not miss what God is, is doing on our midst. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for all that you are. We thank you for Jesus. You came and revealed yourself. You revealed the full that he was the radiance of your glory. So by your Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes of faith that we may see you fully and appropriately. God, by your Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth this morning. As I, as I speak generally, Lord, would you be speaking specifically to our hearts? Would you be stirring us with passion and energy? Give us an excitement for your kingdom coming more and more. Amen. So whenever we approach the scriptures, also by way of, uh, I don't know, on a quick like pause, all of us are in together. Please don't have any guilt about like rowdy children. I think luckily um, Sarah and I are at a stage where like our child, if she's here, would be the rowdiest of them all. So um, be fully released. Play with toys, shakers. That is an excuse for um, the rest of you adults to start like playing whatever games you're playing on your phone. But when we approach the scriptures and, like, and unpack them, you always have to ask the question of actually what is, what is the author telling us? What is Luke trying to tell us in his narrative? And um, for starters, kind of starting in the last couple verses, we see that actually Luke's telling us that this gospel message as it comes, as, as Jesus initiates this new kingdom, it's going to be disruptive, particularly to the power structures. This gospel that we have, it is the essence of goodness, it is truth, but it also is disruptive. So brothers and sisters, do not be alarmed when we start offending people as we speak the truth and live it out, proclaiming it, authenticating it in our midst. But what we find in this narrative is, is Jesus, he gathers together his apprentices, you'd say essentially. He has to start somewhere, it's somewhere exclusive. He starts with 12 and it, and it spreads from there. So he, he gathers together these apprentices. He, he gives them power and authority. My paraphrase would be, he essentially says, guys, come, gather in, gather in. Here's power and authority. Take what you have experienced here. Receive it, and then take it everywhere. To distill it, quite simply, in one of our values as a church is to the ends of the earth. We believe that actually what God is doing in our midst isn't to be like guarded and nurtured and like kept under a bowl or just within the confines of these four walls, but it is to be taken everywhere to the ends of the earth. And that's the call of Jesus in us. So he gives us power and authority. He gives us the ability and the capacity to, to reveal and bring the kingdom to, to perform the miraculous. Maybe if you're new amongst us, if you stick around long enough, you're going to realize that's a pretty key part of our, our culture and DNA, that we believe that, that God is still on the move and working miraculously in our midst. So he gives us the ability. He also gives us the identity, that authority, the identity to know from whom we are sent. So sent from Jesus. It's not just something about, we're not just going in our own strength or ability. It's in him. 
And you see that Jesus, he initiates this, this model of discipleship, this model of, of making apprentices who make other apprentices. He says, you know what? Following on as we've been going the last few months, you see it's a model of, okay, guys, I'll do it, and then you watch. But now it's, you do it, and I'll watch. Well, you do it, and I'll help you, which is what you find in Jesus. It's not a spectator sport, but it's an all-play. He's actually seeking apprentices who are active in his work, that join in with his ministry. Luke, he reveals the, the heart of God. He reveals the heart of God that he, he desires people to come into his community, into his family. So we've seen the last couple of weeks. It's not just enough to be like, now you're a Christian. Jesus says, actually, you know what? Now you're a son or a daughter. He calls people into a family. But there's always like these troubling uh, phrases that Jesus used. He used that phrase, you know, if people don't accept you, shake off the dust of your feet. And I think in it, it, really, it reveals the heart of God. I'm saying, you know what? I'm not going to force people to be part of this community. I'm not going to force you to be a son or a daughter. But less of... So in um, the tradition at the time, they would have understood as, as Jews came back into the holy city, they would have seen even like the dust of Gentile territory of like non-believing lands to be defiled. So when they came back into the holy city, they would like dust the, wipe off the dust of their feet to be pure. So actually less of understanding it as like God actively cursing those just because they didn't say yes to accepting Jesus. It's just holding up a mirror and saying, actually, this is what you're doing by rejecting God. And he's saying this to the to the believers, to the Israel, to, to those who would consider themselves God's people. But it's holding up a mirror and saying, actually, you know what? You have excluded yourself from God's family. And that isn't God's desire. He desires them to be part of it. And again, what's Luke telling us in this narrative? He's saying the disciples, they gathered around Jesus and he said, I'm giving you all power, I'm giving you all authority. And what did they do? They went. They left. It's almost as if they heard Jesus' words and they believed it. Fancy that. (laughs) So they went, they brought, and they brought the good news and they healed the sick. It speaks of actually there was an element of success as far as like everywhere they went. They proclaim the good news and they healed the sick. It always begs the question that we talk about the gospel, we talk about the good news. What is it? Rather than what is the good news, what is the gospel? It's a, it's a case of, of who. Who is the good news? It's just like Sunday school kids quiz. Who's the good news? Jesus. It's like James always uses that phrase. What's well, Scott? Big teeth, bushy tail, and love nuts. It's like it sounds like a squirrel, but it's definitely supposed to be Jesus. <laughs> but, like, but Jesus, he is. He is the good news. It is. <laughs> I didn't realize it would be so distracting. <laughs> but Jesus is the good, the, the good news. It is the announcement of this king. 
people would come and proclaim the gospel of the Caesar, the king at the time, but actually what was so countercultural and radical, they were saying, no, it's not Herod, it's not Caesar, it's Jesus who is the king and the Lord. The gospel is that Jesus, he is the resolution of all of, of Israel's story as we read it through the biblical narrative. And actually, as we read it today, the good news is for all of humanity, Jesus is the answer. He is the resolution to all humanity's woes and missteps. So where our hearts are, are deceitful and broken or corrupted, it is Jesus who comes and it's by him that our hearts are purified. It's in God who, who not only gives us a law written on tablets of stone, but actually now they're written on our hearts. It's where we have sinned, where we have broken our covenant, all the promises with God, where, where we have exiled ourselves. It's Jesus who bears the penalty. He pays the price. It's Jesus who, who comes out and rescues us to bring us home. That's the good news. It's where we're so restless, searching for, for that thing or it that is going to satisfy us, but we realize that they can and they're futile and they don't work, but it's, it's Jesus where we find true peace, not just serenity, but something that satisfies, something that completes us, heals us, restores us. I love the phrasing when Paul would write to, to his protege, Timothy, he would say, you know what, like urge the people to, to take hold of this gospel and uses the phrase so they may take hold of that which is truly life. That's what we find in Jesus. That's the good news. It's not just one version of it, one option for life, but that which is truly life. Because it's only in Jesus who's described as the second Adam, the prototype, where we see the new way to truly be human. And that's perpetually the invitation we have from Jesus. He's saying, actually, do you want to trust in my ways? Do you want to walk according to, to my patterns and find true life, find true peace? And all it takes is Jesus, be, come in, be Lord of my life. Guide me in your ways and give me true life. So how do we live this out today? And as we, we read this passage, not all elements of it are prescriptive. I think when we read the scriptures, you always have to have this lens of, okay, what is prescriptive? What is it that I should be doing? And what is it that is describing what was exclusive to that time? And I think probably very little of what, was, what Luke kind of narrates in this passage is exclusive and to be thrown away. There's probably little elements of it where he says, you know what, uh, don't even take a bag, take no food, don't take your staff. There's even bits of it as you read the, the scriptures in Luke's gospel account, there's like a contradictory statement further on in chapter 22. But besides that, I think what is prescriptive is Luke reminding future readers like ourselves that when we go out to fulfill the, the command, the call, the, the mission of Jesus, it is to have complete and utter reliance on God. Not on our things, not on what we've carried in our bags. He's trying to build faith in his readers. He's not trying to nurture people to be Bear Grylls or Ray Mears. 
I was trying to hit like both audiences there, like different age brackets. You hit Ramirez and Bear Grylls. But we need to have like complete faith and an utter reliance on God. But also, what we find in Jesus, this model to be replicated, also we see it through the, um, the Acts of the Apostles and the Book of Acts, and then through Paul's letters is this model of, of proclamation and authentication. Too, too frequently, people love to quote St. Francis when he said, what does he say? Something to the effect of, like, preach the gospel to all creation at all times, and if necessary, use words. We love that, right? I heard one um, uh, outspoken American preacher, he said, you know what, this is where we, we love to adhere to the 11th commandment, thou shalt be nice. <laughs> and he's being facetious intentionally. Because even St. Francis, he wasn't saying, guys, just be lovely and nice to your neighbors. It was a, it was a direct reaction against the hypocrisy of people of the church proclaiming the gospel but having nothing to back it up, nothing to authenticate it. He was saying, actually, you know what? We need to proclaim the gospel in words directly, but also we need to live out and show them what it is. We need to tell people but also show them. We need to give a testimony of actually what the gospel is, but also let your life witness to it. It is both the what and the how. It's proclamation and authentication that we see in it. It's proclaim the good news, but also heal the sick. Deliver the possessed. It's tell and show. I think it also reveals the nature in which it is supposed to be incarnational. We are to embody Jesus within our communities. In verse 4, it talks about kind of stay in one home. It is to establish relationships where you are, whatever sphere of life you find yourselves in, and reveal what Jesus looks like. If you're a student, like reveal what it looks like for Jesus to be present in your lecture hall. Wherever you work, whatever institutions you find yourself in, like what would it look like for Jesus to be present there? Does that make sense? But also the fact they trusted Jesus. Quite simply, they believed who he was and they believed what he gave them. They exercised obedience. I was reading one a book recently and the author kind of speculated, what if God's love language isn't gift-giving or words of affirmation? What if it's obedience? Like in 1 John, it says, like, if you love God, you'll obey his commands. It's obedience. It just kind of like dovetails into the next one. What we'll find throughout the Gospels, there's this account of the, he's described differently in different Gospels, but like the rich young ruler. He comes and essentially Jesus says, like, you need to obey my commands, you need to give up all your things. And he says it's too difficult and his disciples ask, like, who can do this? Who can be obedient to Jesus? And Jesus says, Without God, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. With the help of God, you can be obedient to God and walk according to his ways and reveal his kingdom. It's why we need the Holy Spirit with us. It is our ever-present help. Not just in times of trouble, but for everyday life, we need the Holy Spirit. 
both in our proclamation but also in our authentication. And so what we see particularly, we'll get onto it at some point in the book of Acts, Luke highlights the Holy Spirit comes on people and as it falls on them, they're able to preach the gospel. They're able to proclaim the good news. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that the sick are healed, the dead are raised to life. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that proclamation and authentication are made possible. Does that make sense? I feel like this is a bit of a, um, just like spreading out a buffet, just like take what you want today. Chew the meat, spit out the the bones. Because it's by the Holy Spirit that we get the power and the authority. But it's it's all well and good thinking about, you know, like, what is it that we should do? What is the call on, on God's people? What is the gospel? How should we do it? Who should we be? Who should we reach? In case you're asking that question, the answer is everyone. But as um, Simon Sinek, he made it really popular, just reminded the world, or at least the Western world, always start with why. Why is the most important question. We mustn't forget why. Why are we doing this? Why did, did Jesus gather his apprentices, give them power and authority, and say, go? In Luke chapter 4, this is what many people would argue is like the pivotal moment in Luke's gospel. What Luke would have seen is like one of the most important parts of his ministry on earth. When, Luke, when Jesus comes and he stands in the temple and he reads out the prophecy from Isaiah, says like, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring release, to bring freedom, to set the captives free, to bring sight to the blind, to proclaim good news to the poor. It's a reminder that actually we all need saving. We need a savior. We need someone to bring that release and that freedom because we can't do it by ourselves. But particularly today, may it remind us, church, that we are not alone. When the evangelist John would start his gospel account, In the opening paragraph, you say, you know what, there's a light that shines in the darkness, and he's talking about Jesus. You see the world, like you turn on the six o'clock news, you're very quickly reminded that the world is still very dark. They need this light, and may I remind us today that we actually have this light within us. And I don't say the following remarks to kind of like throw shade on people at all. But I heard someone say recently that like no longer is it Western society like the UK, America that are sending missionaries out to the global south or like third world countries as a result of like the great awakening of the 18th century and so many other moves of God. No longer are we sending missionaries out, but rather it's the fruit of those missionaries, generations on, that are being sent back. It's men and women from Africa, Asia, South America being sent back to the UK, to Europe, to America, to proclaim the gospel upon our shores. And I don't say that like with pride or contempt of like, how dare they come to us? There's no sense of like superiority there, but it, it's just a reminder. It's another mirror of judgment being held up and making me realize that the mission field isn't out there. It's like 
here. We've got a mission field like on our doorstep. And I think not just kind of incorporating social commentary, but also when you read the Gospels, there's an urgency to it. And I think the urgency is still very real and alive in front of us. So it's always the question of like when we hear these words being spoken, when we read through the scriptures for ourselves, will we answer the call? In verse 6, it's quite simple. They, after Jesus spoke to them, it says, so they set out. So they went. They left. Almost immediately. Will you take hold of this power and authority that Jesus has given you and go? Not to like the far ends of the world. Maybe there's like some amongst us. That is actually what God is calling them to. But for most of us, it's like, will you go to work and embody the ministry of Jesus? Time after time in the previous few chapters, Jesus will use this motif of go in peace. And it's not just this, it doesn't reveal this therapeutic gospel that's just for me to enjoy peace and serenity and have a bath with candles and nice music. It reveals that this gospel is alive and active. The actual, the call on us all is to be missional. It's to step into this new community, this invitation we have, and to welcome others into it. Go in peace is to take what you've received and use it. Because we're invited to embody this ministry of Jesus with power and authority to both proclaim the good news of who he is, what he's like, proclaim, forget not his benefits either. And reveal those benefits, heal the sick, bring release and freedom to those who are possessed, proclaim good news to the poor. And to borrow familiar language, our call as the church is to be the missionaries, envoys, and life igniters of God's kingdom here on earth. Like 25 years ago, this American preacher, John Piper, stood up at some outdoor event in front of thousands and thousands of people, and he, he gave this call, and he essentially said, guys, like, don't buy the American dream. He'd read this anecdote about someone's like retirement life. And essentially he said, like, guys, don't waste your life on the American dream. Don't waste your life collecting seashells. That was like the big, like he really hammered at home. But instead, let me read you this paragraph that struck me recently. And again, it's on this whole like missionary theme, so bear with me. Said a couple centuries ago, a band of brave souls became known as one way missionaries. They purchased one way tickets to the mission field. Instead of suitcases, they packed their belongings into coffins. As they sailed out of port, they waved goodbye to everyone they loved, knowing that they would never return home. A.W. Milne was one of these missionaries. He set sail for the New Hebrides in the South Pacific, knowing full well the local inhabitants had martyred every missionary before him. His coffin was packed. He was warned on the boat not to go there because he was likely to die. And his reply was, 
I died long ago. For 35 years, he lived among the tribes and he loved them. When he died, tribe members buried him in the middle of their village and they inscribed this epitaph on his tombstone. When he came here, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. Our vision for, for our church, what we believe that God is doing amongst us, these people, we, we try and express it. We try and just give like a glimpse of a vision towards it in a, what we call 2033. And I encourage you, you know what, August may be a bit slower for some of us. Maybe some parents, you're like barely staying above the water with kids at home. But try and go away, like listen, read, watch 2033. But this line, it always stands out to me. It says, envoys, missionaries, and life igniters were sent from this place, proclaiming everywhere they went, he is the Lord, the giver of life. Missionaries, envoys, life igniters. It sounds so grand. It's like I'm not packing my life up in a coffin and getting on a boat, sailing far and wide. But I would suggest that we need to, to adopt a more radically ordinary understanding of these offices. Yeah, not all of us are going to be sent to the New Hebrides in the South Pacific. Some of us might, but not all of us. But all of us have received this power and authority from Jesus. And I don't, I don't share these like anecdotes to, I don't know, condemn us, discourage us. But rather, I see it as this, this end goal that I want to strive towards. Not for my own pride, but to see God's kingdom flourished and grow and expand. This isn't a, a target to aim for. And I often ask myself the same question, like, will they speak the same thing of me when I die? I'm sure it's probably some inspirational U.S. president. Please, no, it's Winston Churchill, I'm sorry. I don't know I have to like, apologize for accidentally ascribing Winston Churchill's knowledge to an American. <laughs> it's like, that's self-deprecation. I've got an American passport. But Winston Churchill says, like, history will speak well of me because I intend to write it. Please correct me if that wasn't Winston Churchill. It was actually Kennedy. I don't know. <laughs> but not for my own pride, not for, for my daughters to look on and say, oh, how great was our dad? but I hope because of the fruit that would cause when I die, people will say the same thing about me. That when he left here, there was no darkness. Isn't that what we want to inspire, be inspired to thrive towards? Jesus says, I've given you all power, all authority. Go. Church, why don't we stand? We're going to We're going to pray, we're going to minister to one another, and then we're going to finish our service doing things a bit differently, breaking bread together. But in the meantime, I want to pray for, for two things, and I'm still trying to figure out which one to do in what order. I think we're going to start with this, when Jesus, he, he comes and he gave them power and authority Maybe actually for many of us, we need to be reminded 
that needs to be like reignited within us. And we need to be commissioned as life igniters afresh today. Does that sound all right? Maybe a bit terrifying? Probably should be, equal measure. So I was going to say, are there, are there any kids around? I say that like rhetorically, I can see a bunch of you. <laughs> can, I, can I get your help for a minute? Can you guys like come here? And I need you to grab. If you guys could come and grab. If you're like under the age of 37, you're released to be... <laughs> to join with us today. But if you grab some of these like ribbons, streamers, while the rest of us are praying that we would receive afresh today this power and authority, I want you guys to kind of wander around the church. Maybe you want to lay a hand on people. Maybe you just want to wave these streamers towards them. But the rest of us, let's spend a moment now We're going to receive afresh this power and authority that, that God has bestowed upon all of us through his Holy Spirit. Kids, young peoples, why don't you guys start moving around the church now? So you believe the Holy Spirit is, is moving in our midst. And let me speak that word of truth to, to many of us. When we think, gosh, life igniter, that's not me. I'm just barely hanging in there. Or like, I know what I spent my youth doing. The good news is that because of Jesus, because of all that he is, all that he has done, we are not disqualified from that office. Missionaries, envoys, life igniters, taking the good news to the ends of the earth is who he has called each and every one of us to be. So kids, why don't you start like going up and down the aisles. You can even just start quickly walking. I'm not sure I'm allowed. Together. Also, I want to pray for, for some of us. It's all inspirational to think, you know what? We all want to be missionaries, envoys, life igniters being the one that, that bring light and eradicate darkness in people's lives, but I can't help but feel like I've got a lot of darkness in my life. So I want to spend a few minutes now. If that's you, you say, actually, I need the, the light of Jesus to shine even more brightly in the darkness of my life. We'd love to, to pray with you now. Maybe if that's you saying, actually, I want Jesus to be the Lord, the King of my life. I'm going to invite you guys to, to come down the front as we worship for a few minutes. Maybe some of us will, will come over, start igniting life within you as well. Does that sound all right? <laughs>